Well, we made it to our ninth year as a church. I I can't believe it. There were times where I didn't think we would make it to our ninth month. Um, Earlier on, it was was so difficult. We had so many trials and disappointments uh, on our way. Uh, First year, I remember I had several nightmares of us uh, closing our doors, uh, holding worship service, and no one showing up and waking up to realize that so so thankful that it was not a reality but just a bad dream. It's been uh, nine years of uh, many trials but many, many joys, many triumphs. Uh, Our church has been so greatly blessed by God uh, beyond our wildest dreams. And it is not really just a growth. Uh, Numerical growth is... Um, you know, it's a, it's a blessing, but so much more than that, we're thankful for just the blessings of salvation in our midst. So many have come to faith in Christ through our corporate witness to the gospel of Christ. Um, I can't even mention all the names. Laura Robert came to faith through our church. Carrie Reisman, Alex Fung, Sharon Chung, Mark Choi, Mark Lee, Adele, Miriam, Judy, David Sigler, John Tadakoro, David West. David West twice, he came to <laughs> baptize him and didn't work, so I had to baptize him again. <laughs> Whatever works. Right. God has uh, glorified himself by using clay pots as us to save his chosen people. It's amazing that he would use unworthy sinners as us for his grand purposes. Not just salvation, but God has been faithful to the leaders of our church. God has blessed us and enriched our walks with Him. From the leaders top down, from the elders, pastors, shepherds, ministry leaders, teachers, all of us have matured in our faith. We are, by God's grace, able to minister from the overflow of our Christian lives. We've grown in our commitment to the knowledge of the Word and also the right practice of that Word in our lives. Um, growing in our leadership at home, serving in the church, growing in meekness, dependence upon the Lord through word and prayer. And by God's grace, purely, we've grown in our humility. And I think for that, we are most thankful. We are far from where we need to be in terms of humility. But by God's grace, we found the right way. We didn't get lost. Living in Orange County being mired with the disease of affluenza surrounding us. So easy to get lost in just boasting in ourselves and trusting in our flesh. It was easy for us to lose our way, but God saved us from that. And we're on the right track of pursuing true humility. We saw evidence of that last month in our monthly 115 fellowship where all our leaders of the church, shepherds, get together for our, our flock group, and you'd have been so encouraged by the openness, the honesty, the transparency with which the leaders of our church were sharing and exhorting and praying for one another. It testified to the earnest desire that each one of us have for growth before God, not fearing man, not an agenda to have some kind of position in the church or some uh, influence or authority, but a true desire just to be right with God, right before the Lord. And we see that trickling down to all the members as well. 
where we are seeing members genuinely seeking accountability, uh, asking tough questions and inviting um, scrutiny, inviting examination from others. So thankful for that. God has blessed us as uh, Gary and Bob and so many of you shared um, by a group of believers that has a deep love for Christ, for His Word, and for one another. We hear this all the time. People come for the preaching, but they don't stay for the preaching. They stay because of the people. They stay because just how genuinely loving the people here are at Cornerstone, how friendly we are, how warm, hospitable, lover of strangers, desiring true fellowship and true encouragement in Christ. We've had people tell us, James, I've visited church after church and I'm treated like I have a disease. I have some kind of a contagious disease because no one welcomes me. No one says hi to me. I come to Cornerstone and people have reached out to me in ways that I cannot count for apart from the power of God, apart from Christ, loving them. And through that love, they're loving me. We see that lived out, not just in uh, touchy-feely ways, but in genuine, practical ways. This happened to me twice. Unannounced, they go to the church house. We, at our, you know, we don't own this building. We rent it out. So we rent a church house, a house, uh, a residential home to use for ministry meetings, prayer meetings, and mostly for Marcus and I, for us to study uh, and uh, be in the Word. Well, unannounced, twice this past year, I went late at night, maybe 8, 9 o'clock, and the lights are on, and there are people inside. And I, I, I enter, and what do I find? I find two or three of our women. These are professional women, right? High-powered workers, right, in the corporate world. What do they do after working all day? They change their clothes. They put on, like, you know, raggedy clothes. They come to the church house. What are they, what are they doing? They're vacuuming the house. They're changing the trash cans. They're cleaning the kitchen counter. Right? They're cleaning after the pastors. And I'm, I was so like embarrassed. I was so like, oh, I should be you know, cleaner here. You know, I'm, I'm better at home, but not in the church house yet. I didn't leave any socks lying around, thank God for that. But still, Marcus and I leave a mess. And here are these w- women of our church, because of the love for Christ, just doing that labor. We see the set-up ministry. Early Sunday mornings, late Sunday afternoons putting together so that we can worship and packing it away uh, while we are already at lunch. Uh, when I tell other pastors about the ministry that goes on, I think, not, I think all members serve because members are believers and believers are servants. And when I tell other pastors, I kind of boast of our church how I have these volunteers who type up uh, my books for me, who run errands for me, who come to me and ask, can I do anything for you? And they're like, what? Like, they, they, you don't pay them for this? No, they're, they're volunteers because they're serving the church. It's all because what God has done in their lives and caused them to love the church together. And isn't it a joy to come to church with believers like that? Isn't there synergy? Isn't there, isn't that contagious, infectious? It causes your heart to be stirred up all the more, to love Christ more, 
to love Christ's word more and to love fellow believers all the more? Isn't that one of the joys of being in our church? Isn't that one of the greatest things that we thank God for? A few weeks ago, I had the great privilege to go to a Lakers game. Right? It's not about Lakers so, you know, so much, so don't like um, tune me out, ladies. But, you know, so it's not often I get to go to the Lakers game. They're very expensive. You know, somebody come, came upon tickets, so I went, got to go. And it was Lakers against Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are a real good team. They should have won the championship last year. But because of Robert Dory and his tricks, right, they got robbed and San Antonio Spurs won. But they're the leading contender for the championship this year. They're the best record in the Western Conference right now. They recently made a big trade for Shaq, which I think was a mistake. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. Well, it's a great game, right? Lakers against the Suns. We had great seats. Lower level uh, Staples, uh, Staples Center. Right, when I usually go, I'm on the nosebleed seats, right? So I can't really watch basketball. I just look for the reaction of the people around me. And if they're cheering, we must have scored, and I'm happy. If they don't, I look for the replay, because uh, you can't really see what's going on. But this time, we had great seats, lower level, maybe 20 rows uh, away from the court. So we're sitting there, and I'm stoked. I am, my heart's pumping. I'm just excited. You know, somebody bought me a polo, Lakers, you know, polo. And I bring that. I can't wear that when I'm counseling you or doing ministry, right? That's a little, little too, right? So I, I bring that out, and I wear my Lakers, you know, polo, and I'm, I'm pumped. And I'm sitting there, and all around me are people who have no love for the Lakers. They don't really know about basketball. They're not interested in the game. They're there because these are corporate seats that are owned by major corporations, big companies. And they give them out to, like, as comps for customers or, or sales contract people or other, other, other workers in their own company. So they're there because they got free tickets. Right? They're there because, hey, it's night out, but not because they love the Lakers. So throughout the game, they're talking about like movies and TV shows and like food and like everything else except for the Lakers. And I'm getting all like getting angry because we lost, or <laughs> but I'm, I'm as angry because we're surrounded by, by people that really don't have love for the game. And it was a downer for the whole night. It was a downer. I almost wanted to yell at them and say, go home, why are you guys here? Right, if you're not interested in the Lakers. Well, same thing in the church. Isn't it a downer to come to church? Go to a church. You're sitting there and no one's singing. You're sitting there and people are falling asleep during messages. And there is no heat. There is no passion. There is no zeal for Christ. They're there for some other reason. They're there because of their children's ministry. They're there because of their little monsters, right, it's like a little baby sitting for their kids, and they have some free time to themselves. They're there because of some friendships or relationships or whatever reason, but they're not there because of Christ. And you can see it in their faces. You can see it in their attitudes. You can see it in their demeanor, how they approach worship, how they pray, how they listen to God's Word. And isn't that a downer? I think Mark Lee's testimony was that he's been an unbeliever all, all his life. When he first came to Cornerstone, he was sitting there listening to God's Word, and he looked around to see how other people were listening to God's Word, and he was shocked to find people were listening to the preaching of the Word. People were writing down notes. People were inclined. People were, at their, they're, they're nodding. They're, they're, they're tear, welling up with tears. They were repenting. And that 
challenge them more and the Word of God itself to see the effect of God's Word in people's lives. And that's our joy for us as a church, that we come together and we're all here because we love Christ. Uh, and we love God's Word. We take praise seriously. We take prayer seriously. We take ministry and our time together as a corporate church and communion and baptism seriously. And that invigorates us. That inspires us. It's not a downer to come to church. It's not a source of discouragement. No, coming to church is an encouragement in our long race of faith to Christ. Now, how has God so blessed us? How has this happened to our, our humble church, to our small church? It is not as... It's amazing. Like some, somebody sent the memo out to, the, to Marcus and Bob and to Gary. It is not because of any man. It is not because of me or the elders or pastors. It's not because of some program or some decisions that we have made. You know, pride leads to downfall, right? Giving glory and credit to any person or a group of people will surely cause our church to go, to go down. What has caused us to be so blessed is the treasure that is within us. We're about clay pots. We're just Tupperware, temporary Tupperware, 99 cents, Big Lots brand, that you use a few times, you microwave it and warps, and you throw it away. No real value in us. But the value is is, what's inside of us. That God in His wisdom in His sovereignty, God in His grace has saw fit to entrust His valuable treasure to earthen vessels, unworthy sinners as you and I. And what is that treasure? It is Christ. It is the cross. It is the gospel. The reason we have all these blessings in our church is because by God's grace, somehow, we have been faithful to the gospel of Christ. We've been faithful to, to believe it faithful to study it, meditate upon it, to consider its claims, its demands. We've been faithful in striving after living by the gospel of Christ, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is the reason for our blessedness. Let's not damage our church. Let's not harm our body. By saying in our hearts, oh, our church is so blessed because of Him, or because of those ministries, or those decisions, or these innovative things that we came up with, you harm us. I harm the church when we think such prideful thoughts. The singular reason for the blessedness is because of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1, 3-6. Marcus preached from this last week. And stay with me the whole week, especially verses 5 and 6. Colossians 1, 3-6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. You have heard the gospel which has come to you 
as indeed in the whole world. And here it is. It is bearing fruit and growing. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Here's what Paul is saying. Your faith, your church, your sanctification is because the gospel and gospel is bearing fruit in your life. And not just in church in Thessalonica, not just in church in Colossae, not in Philippi, not in Rome, all over the world. Even in Orange County, California, the gospel bears fruit. This is, again, the reason for our blessedness, our salvation, our sanctification, our maturity in Christ, our sweet joy as Christians, our, our, our changed hearts, a heart that we used to hate God, now we love Him. We hated the Bible, now we love the Word. We hated preaching, we thought preaching was the waste of time. Like the most boring thing someone could occupy himself or herself in. Now we love it when someone preaches the word. We hate it when they deviate from the word of God. We love it when they stand behind God's word. We used to see church as a chore, as a burden, as something that is wearisome. Now we love the church. We love Christians. This is all fruits of the gospel of Christ. This is what the gospel has done in nine years of our church. So we want to give where credit is due today and forevermore. But I don't know about you, but for me, I want more. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm satisfied, I'm content, you know, in Christ, but I want more people to be saved. Right? I want you to love Christ more. I really do. And you should as well. I think we all should want us to love one another more. Greater passion for Christ. Greater enthusiasm in our prayer life. Greater knowledge of the Word. I I think all of us should long and thirst and hunger for greater humility. Genuine, practical humility. How would that be accomplished? Not by Pastor James having some idea. Not by putting our trust in some people in our church. No, it will come by us going back to the gospel of Christ. The message that saved and saves is how we will continue to grow in Christ. Our prayer is, in our 18th year anniversary, nine years from now, right, we'll look at more slideshows, right? More miracles happening at Cornerstone, right? Sorry, Min, right? <laughs> Min's got thick skin, so we can do that to him, right? You know, more, we want more of this, and we'll say it's because in our ninth year, we resolved to go back to the gospel and not go astray. If we want our hearts to be more excited, more of our hearts to be stirred, more enthusiastic and zealous for the church and for the lost, it is by going back and committing ourselves to the gospel of free grace. This is what Pastor C.J. Mahaney said in the cross in our life. 
if there is anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. I don't mean passionate only about sharing it with others. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way we look at this world. Only one thing can be of first importance to each of us, and that is the gospel. Jerry Bridges wrote, The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history. John Stott called it the great and glorious of all subjects. C.J. admonished us, never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is a life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. The New Testament, by its example, teaches us and tells us that Christians need the gospel more than non-Christians. That Christians, we need to hear We need to study and we need to understand the gospel. Our hearts are pride and idol-making machines. Every day, it takes us away from the gospel. The people that are most desperate in need of the gospel is the church. Because if the church loses her side of the gospel, her grasp, her understanding, what happens? Their message becomes a message of works a message of of external religion and ritual, salvation by by practical personal righteousness. And unbelievers hear hear, hear error. They hear false teaching. They hear heresy. Christians need the gospel. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 1.15, he told the believers, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. I think believers, we have this insatiable desire for new truth or some hidden truth, some novel truth, some advanced understanding or deep theology. And Paul knew that's not where it was at. What believers needed was the gospel. He desired to make that long journey to Rome so that he might preach this saving message, this sanctifying, powerful message to the believers. In most of Paul's letters to the churches, the first portion and the sizable portion are devoted to the explication of the gospel. Right, Romans, really there are just 15 chapters in the book of Romans. Chapter 16 is just, you know, you know, personal greetings and such. 15 chapters, 11 chapters is the explication of the gospel. Right, 12 through 15 is just application. So many sermons today, it's all application. Or majority, just stories and illustrations and anecdotes and applications of what to do and very little of the truth of the gospel. What Christ did, what God did, who God is, who we are. The biblical model is the opposite. Look at Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, all start and emphasize the gospel of Christ. Because Romans 1.16 and First Corinthians one eighteen, the gospel is the power of God. It is the 
dynamite of God. The most powerful thing in our resources, in this world, is this truth. It's these principles, these ideas, right? these, these truths. This is the most powerful thing. Only thing that can save us, save the world from sin. It is the most powerful truth, powerful message to this world. To that end, I want to consider together five truths that are declared by the gospel of Christ. Five truths declared by the cross, by the gospel. First of all, the gospel outlines the greatest demonstration of the Father's love to this world. Where is the Father's love? How can we know that God the Father loves the world and loves us? The greatest proof, the greatest demonstration is in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Here we find the evidence, the confirmation of his love. In Genesis 22, when God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son, and Abraham, a man of faith, next morning he gets up early, takes his son on a three-day journey with the full intention to sacrifice him. To give him up to the Lord, to the Father, because that was the Father's command. God knew how heart-wrenching that would be for Abraham. God could have allowed Abraham to murder his son and brought him back to life. But even for that temporary loss, it would be so painful, God protected Abraham from that horrifying experience so that he might keep the son whom he loved but not for himself. For himself, he didn't hold back. He murdered his only son on our behalf because of your sins, because of your transgressions, because the evil that you have committed with with full intention, premeditation, with full conspiracy, pre-planning, the sins you knowingly committed. Christ died on the cross for our sins. We find that to the gospel, God's love toward us is infinitely superior to any love that we can muster up for ourselves. That if we are honest with ourselves, we find ourselves hard to love. Because we know our own sinfulness. We know our own sins. We know our own transgressions. We know that people's view of us is very limited. It's not based on reality. Through the gospel we find that God loved us with full knowledge. Knowing every intimate detail of our lives. Every thought, every wish, every desire, every hidden 
intention of our hearts. God fully knew. And yet, He sent His Son for our sins. It surpasses our own love for ourselves. We see it in the gospel of Christ. Secondly, the gospel reveals that the greatest accomplishment of man was the murder of God's Son. The greatest accomplishment of man is not ending world hunger, peace on earth. It's not curing cancer. Man was not content with just murder. It was not enough for man. And mankind saw God, the perfect son. Man in his darkness, evil in his heart, had only one emotional response, and that was one of hatred. In our pride, we hated God. We hated His righteousness. We hated His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His love. Instead of melting before Him, our hearts became hardened and our intense hatred just grew. Unreasonable hatred. Unreasonable. It makes no sense. Culminated in us Murdering him. The blood guilt is, uh, is on all our hands. Right. After we killed God's son, there's nothing more wicked we can accomplish. This was the chief accomplishment of man. Murder of God's only son. The third truth is the intensity of our father's hatred for sin. Intensity of our Father's hatred. He is so holy. He is so righteous. That when our sins were laid upon His only Son, who was innocent, He responded with unbridled anger. Right? Fury. I mean, parents, you understand. In our household right now, we're wrestling through like almost World War Three at home. Right? Certain and I, we're outnumbered, right? We're stronger physically, but they're more sinful than us, right? Their sinfulness is greater than our physical strength. And now Ethan and Emma, they're like two and three, and they're very like in age, and so they're like just multiplying in their sinfulness towards one another and towards our parents. So we've been like disciplined like there's no tomorrow, right? My arm's sore. I'm working out so I can like discipline harder. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you know what's the hardest thing? You parents, you know. It's the anger that we feel towards our children whom we love because of their sins. I look at Eleanor. Oh, she's so sweet, so precious. She's five months. I know what's in the future. I am not, like, deceived anymore. Right? I know. Just as soon as she can, she's going to sin against mom and dad. Right? But we... As sinners, there's so much anger towards sin. Well, how much more God, who is without sin, and we disrespect Him, we dishonor Him, we spit in His face, right? Like Judas kissed Christ only once. We do it every single day. 
Judas' hypocrisy was only for three years. Our hypocrisy continues to this day and will continue till our death. When all our sins were placed on Christ, what was God's response to His own Son was to pour hell upon Him, make Him drink the bitter cup of His wrath and drink it whole. So the argument of the New Testament author Paul is, if God so treats His own Son in this way because of sin, how will He treat His enemies? So the Gospel is good news and the backdrop with horrifying news. Salvation to those who believe, but pit of destruction, everlasting fire. God's personal wrath poured out against those who reject His Son. Fourthly, the truth of the Gospel is that it's the surest motivation for us to seek after holiness and humility. Surest motivation for us to seek after holiness and humility. What strong reasons do you have to bother with this holiness thing? Right? Why bother? Why fight? Right? So much easier. It's going to go with the flow. So much easier just to manage sin. Okay, I'm not going to blatantly sin. I'll just manage sin here and here and here and not let it get out of control. The greatest lie of our enemy, right? If you're killing sinners, it's going to be killing you. We think we're managing sin. Sin is getting ready to kill us, devour us. And destroy us. We don't manage sin. We are to kill sin. Mortify its influence. But why bother? Asaph in Psalm 73. Speaks. Openly. Honestly. I envy the arrogant. When I saw their prosperity. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. And my response is, I have in vain kept my heart pure. It's all for nothing. I have washed my hands in innocence. In vain. I have been punished every morning. All day long I've been plagued. All for naught. He was saying to himself, why am I fighting sin, pride, selfishness, lust, impurity? Why am I striving to evangelize and serve in ministry? Why should I fight materialism? Why should I pursue knowledge of God's Word? Why discipline my, Why get up early and stay up late to pray? Why struggle and be separated from this world, lose friends, be rejected and ostracized by the world? What reason why should I pursue holiness? Look at the cross of Christ. Look at the cross of Christ. And there is the reason. Right? We don't have to... You come to me and we don't have to have a long conversation. I don't have to counsel you for too long. Maybe a very short time together. Where we will just look at the cross. And there we find the most powerful motivation for us to pursue after holiness. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 Christ's love compels us so that we should no longer live for ourselves but for Him who died and was raised again. 
What compels us? Christ's love compels us. How do we know Christ's love? Through the cross, through the gospel. 1 Peter 1.18 tells us that we are not our own, that God has purchased us. How? Not with gold and silver, not with perishable things. With what did God purchase us? He purchased us by the death of His only Son. We are bound by most solemn obligations to glorify Christ because He gave Himself for you and He gave Himself for me. First Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on that tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why did Christ go to the cross? To save us from sin positionally and to save us from sin practically. He did not just save us spiritually and so that we might live in sin practically, enjoy this world and go to heaven. No, He died. He suffered and He died so that we might put to death sin in our flesh. Not just holiness, but humility. The gospel compels us and empowers us towards meekness. The gospel, and this is why we love the gospel here, because it destroys pride. Pride is anti-God. right? Pride blinds us to God because pride causes us to look down on everyone. And we're looking down. We can't see God because God is above us. Right? Pride is self-worship. Pride destroys genuine faith. And the only thing powerful enough to kill pride in our hearts is the gospel. Milton Vincent wrote this, According to scripture, God deliberately designed the gospel in such a way so as to strip me of my pride and leave me without any grounds of boasting in myself whatsoever. That's how God designed the gospel. Undeserved election, unconditional, undeserved election. That our being chosen is not because of our righteousness. But God chose us because of His love, His will, His glorious grace, not because of anything in ourselves. God designed it that way so that we would have no room for pride. No room for boasting before Him. Milton Vincent Vincent continues, This is actually a wonderful mercy from God. For pride is at the root of all my sin. Pride produced the first sin in the garden. Pride always precedes every sinful stumbling in my life. Therefore, if I am to experience deliverance from sin, then I must be delivered from the pride that produces it. And what can deliver me from the pride that is in my heart? Only the gospel. Only the gospel. Continues, pride wilts in the atmosphere of the gospel. And the more pride is mortified within me, the less frequent are my moments of sinful contention with God and with others. Conversely, humility grows lustily in the atmosphere of the gospel. And the more humility flourishes within me, the more I experience God's grace along with the strengthening His grace provides. Additionally, 
such humility intensifies my passion for God and causes my heart to increasingly to thrill whenever He is praised. The surest motivation for us to seek out the holiness and humility is the gospel of Christ. And finally, the gospel is the most comforting answer to believers who are in trouble and distress. The most comforting answer to believers who are in trouble and distress. What can comfort you in your hour of deepest disappointments, deepest pain and trial? Many times the pastor, you know, Marcus and I, pastors, we are placed in a situation where we are there to comfort. We are there to console. They look to us and we have to say something to encourage a heart that is beat down, that is broken down, pressed down with difficulties and hardships. In that moment, I cry out to God, God help me. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words to help this person. This this tragedy, this awful event, what they're going through in their marriage, what they're going through in their personal lives, their financial difficulties. God, I don't have anything to say. What can I say to, to minister to them? And by God's grace, I remember my short conversation. Look to the cross. Look at the cross of Christ. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? If God gave us his son, will he hold back on these secondary blessings? If he has given us his best gift, will he withhold his trivial gifts from us? The gospel is what comforts us. The cross of Christ reminds us of God's sovereignty that even in the midst of this horrific death of God's Son, God was in control. Reminds us, teaches us, that God is victorious. He has conquered sin and death. It teaches and reminds us that Christ has risen. He is our hope. And just as He had promised, He will come back Himself one day to take us to be where he, he is. We will be with Him forever. And all our sorrow and grief, all our pain, will be turned to joy by the Father Himself. These are the reasons why we must hold tightly to the Gospel of Christ. The Gospel is indeed the greatest demonstration of the Father's love to this world. It is our chief achievement as sinners murdering God's Son. It is the most powerful revelation of our Father's hatred of sin. Most powerful revelation of His holiness. The Gospel is the surest motivation for us to pursue holiness and humility. 
and it is our greatest comfort. So, I hope your heart sing this morning. I want more as well, Pastor James. I want to see more people get saved. I want to grow more in Christ. I want to sacrifice more. I want to have greater heat for Christ, greater zeal for love for fellow saints. I want to have a greater zeal for the gospel to the lost. How will we do this? By focusing on the gospel. Every Sunday, we gather together. Let's resolve to make Christ's cross the center of our time together. May we fix our eyes on Christ. Every Sunday, we gather together. So may may our songs be about the cross of Christ. May our prayers be about the cross of Christ. May the preaching of God's word be about the gospel of Christ. May our fellowship be all about the gospel and its implications to our lives. May the gospel be the center of our church every time we gather together. And then when we're apart, what do we do? Let's resolve every day to preach the gospel to ourselves. To form the spiritual discipline of preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. It is a daily need for the, God, for the believer. If you think, wow, man, Pastor James preached a long sermon on the gospel. I'm good this week. All right, don't carry me for seven days. You do not realize. Let me read to you again what Milton Vincent said. The gospel is so foolish according to my natural wisdom, so scandalous according to my conscience, and so incredible according to my timid heart, It is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with my sins, the condemnings of my heart, the lies of the world and the devil, than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. When we're together, let's be centered on the gospel. When we're apart, your internal monologue, may you be found to be an excellent preacher where you're preaching to your own heart and your message is the gospel of Christ so that in your life and in our church, God would save more people. God would grow more saints. There'd be greater passion for Christ, for His Word, and for one another all by the gospel, bearing fruit in our lives individually and bearing fruit in our corporate life. You're a cornerstone. Let's pray together. Gracious and merciful Father, Father, God of infinite mercy, God, full of grace, gather together with this congregation of your people who are set apart for your glory. Lord, we bless your holy name. As we fellowship with one another, by our presence, we declare that you are a merciful, merciful, merciful God. Because of your steadfast love, your glorious grace, Because of your tender mercies, Lord, 
we are here this morning because you have lifted our greatest burden, the burden of our countless sins. Lord, we we ran from you because of our shame. We hid from you because we were overloaded with guilt, overwhelmed with guilt. We try to fill our lives with temporal distractions to drown out your truth. But God, you sought us out. Lord, you ran after us. Lord, with eyes of mercy, you saw us. And Lord, you saved us. You removed our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. And with our eyes open, we saw the ugliness of our sins, the greatness of our shame and our sins. And with the same look, we saw the cross, the gospel, and we saw your love washing us clean, making us white as snow. So now as sinners who have received your grace, we seek you, O Lord. Our hearts cry out to seek your face. Lord, how can we thank you for all your goodness toward us? You have given us everything. What can we do to repay you for all your benefits? May we be loyal subjects of your kingdom as we live as aliens and exiles in this world. May we be faithful citizens, loyal subjects of your throne and Maybe live in a manner so as to hear those words and we stand before you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That would be reward enough for us just to hear that you are pleased with our lives. We thank you for the gospel. May it be precious to us. May we cherish it. May it be the center of our church in the center of each believer here. We thank you and pray all these things in your son's name.